Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bang! Uh, he stares in the eyes of the now. man who despises him. Welcome to Flight 3D. This is your captain speaking. We ask that you please note the emergency exits and safety signs in the event our journey becomes just too deep. Super nigga can't put a basketball down. He leaves tall super niggas in a single bound. Super nigga ain't got no degrees. He ain't got no time for that. Street corner, crack houses, projects, his natural habitat. Super nigga got super strength, speed, and agility. So it's understandable when the cops beat him down to the best of their ability. Super nigga had no supervision. Instead, he had super it's between 17 and 25 super who orchestrates train nobody got more than us. Aspiring artists sent saliva in their palms, producing hits, making noise with their fists. Lanky limbros and afros break beats and pop lock on dance floors. Made a Let me talk to you for a second. What you won't do, do for love. You tried everything, but you won't give up. In my heart is only you. Make me do for love what I would not do. I know exactly what you did that stormy night in December. I was a victim of the crime, yes indeed I remembered. Knew deep inside you would do anything for the presidents. Wipe your prints off the evidence and make it look like an accident. I wonder what made you react so violently. You convinced me to sign that damn insurance policy. Now I'm the freaking retard, lying in the graveyard, decomposing the dirt and you still spending my credit card. Think about the things you did. They used to bug me, spent up my money, slept with my buddy, then it got ugly, then or not. Y'all I got, I'm coming back for you, honey. Till death to report, my heart. Won't allow me to die Dug through six feet of dirt Storm clouds screamed in the sky Tears of blood fell from my eyes I considered my pain My cold dead skin Bombarded by rain Homicidally insane Came back from the grave to get her Came back from the grave to prove I be the dude she can't get rid of And that sorry cat that's with her That I once called friend He only made pretend Just to get at her rear end I seek revenge on him Kill a man, kill him again Dragging my feet Rigging more to set in I move fast as I can A black cat shrieked as I crossed his path Caught my reflection on a piece of broken glass And I 
I laugh on some Charlie Manson chuckle. Dead man walking past tense like a brass name belt buckle. The angel of death called for me, but I refused to go. And I came back just to let her know. My friends wonder what is wrong with me. Cause I'm in a daze from your love, you see. And I came back to let her know. Got a thing for you, and I won't let go. Anger and misery got me trapped in this human shell. No time to concentrate on heaven or hell. The angel of death stole my breath so I would not cross over. That's something, something for wifey boo and a two-faced Casanova. See, in the end, justice will prevail. I'm deader than a motherfucker. They can't send me to jail. They try to stop me, but they fail. Little did they know I would return from the grave as a ghost roaming the ghetto. At the stroke of midnight, I creeped to the wall, pointed my finger at the ceiling fan and made that fall. Ripped the phone out to prevent them making 911 calls. Not that it would matter, my man saw me, emptied his bladder, his teeth, they started to chatter. His heart filled with fear, he shut his eyes for half a second and I disappeared. Terrified, trying to hide, he knew why I came back. Revenge is sweeter than the syrup on your pancake stack. Scream his name from the shadows, asking why he did it. He said he was sorry, begged me for mercy, I said forget it. Put my hand on his mouth so the man couldn't shout. My free hand ripped his heart out, without a doubt. Ghosts all up in the house now for the spouse. I go upstairs, she's in the room, sleep snoring. I levitate so creeping floorboards won't give her warning. I lay beside her. Kissed her on the cheek, the story ends with her friends never seeing her again. My friends wonder what is wrong with me. Cause I'm in a day from your love, you see. And I came back to let her know. Got a thing for you, and I can't let go. Got a thing for you, and I can't let go. And I won't let go. All right. That was just Bernard Collins, What You Won't Do for Love, and just a sample of some comedic poetry. Welcome to Spoken Word Poetry, the art, the industry, the viability. Tonight we're talking about comedy and poetry and our special Scheduled guest is Tony Spires, a.k.a. Fruition. He is a filmmaker, a producer, a poet, musician, and he is the founder of the Black Comedy Competition, a Bay Area Black Comedy Competition. Um, and as we wait for Mr. Spires to come on, you do have an opportunity, if you'd like to, Come and spit some of your poetry, show us some of your comedic ability. Just call into 646-716-7994. Again, that call-in number is 646-716-7994. Now, we do have a caller on the line from the 937. Hello? Hello? Caller from the 937, did you want to speak? Okay, I guess our caller didn't want to speak. Um, just wanted to share, everyone, as we're talking about Tony Fruition Spires, he does have a new CD that's out right now, and that CD is called Paradigm Shift. So um, as we wait for some more people to come on, again, if you like to spit and share your comedic poetry, please do so. In the meantime, we're going to listen to this piece called My Road from his 
new CD, Paradigm Shift. And this is Tony Fruition Spires. My role. Not easy to wax poetic today. Mad for no specific reason. Even harder to see beauty with an ugly frame of mind. Smiling faces rub me wrong like junior high teasing. Sometimes I wish I could just give it up and leave it all behind. Distant clowns to the right of me Catch me wide mouth cheese And diversionary tactics work like Old school tricks in 83 And my whole life long I got all A's and B's And fools only think That they wish that they were me Mine is that long dusty road that Lotus traverse without provisions Lost in route To finding truth Hairpin turns cause Head on collisions Methods long considered uncouth Smog and soot blend and burn the eyes Knowledge itself soundly intact. Hairpins morph into daggers. Third eye on point to watch my back. My road's straight and narrow, but it's not because I'm good. My road's less traveled and it starts in the hood. My road's paved with old men's dreams. My road's nowhere nearly as long as it seems. My road's precarious and never well lit. My road's uphill, so you got to stay fit. My road's foreboding like a slippery slope. My road's bound for love and the essence of hope. My road's a pilgrimage, but no ship to sail. My road's an odyssey with no holy grail. My road's an ocean with no shore in view. My road's only visible to a precious few. But you're welcome to join me. If it bitches your thing, no dull moments, and uh, that's my word. Whether or not you think that you can say, where my role your song will be heard. Pick up your pen and follow me. Take my hand, it's dark at night. Even though it's hard to see, I know you'll say your name in life. No power needed to turn them on. There's no equipment for you to buy. When all the glitz of this world has passed away, your name will be written in the sky. In the sky.
Okay, we're back. We just got finished listening to My Road by Fruition from his album Paradigm Shift. And we do have our guest on the line, so let me welcome Mr. Tony Fruition Spires. Hello, sir. <laughs> Jackie, how you doing, sister? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you? I am so blessed to be here, so happy to be here, and I can't tell you how I don't know how humbling it always is when I hear somebody playing some of my music. It's just a beautiful thing. All right. Well, that's a great piece, and we're going to play another one. So we're going to just get this started because we have a few callers on the line now, and they're just listening in, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening stream-wise because people want to get to know you. So the world wants to know who is Tony Spires, the man. And then share us your claim to fame. Like, where are you from? You know, what's your passions? Just, you know, who is Tony Spires? Wow. Well, I was born on a little log cabin. On the, No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Jackie, I'm just, you know, just a, a brother uh, out here trying to do his thing, trying to, trying to uh, be free, trying to stay free, trying to express myself artistically and uh, trying to help people, trying to be a servant. Uh, at the same time, I, I might have a closet ambition or two of being a boss, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm trying to do what God put me on earth to do, and I think that's to be an artist, and that also I think it, it also means uh, to help people. So, um, long story short, I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon. Uh, moved to California immediately after high school to pursue a creative writing uh, degree at San Francisco State University. Wound up uh, leaving that department uh, for a lot of reasons. I might have spoke about that on um, the last time I was on your show, but I was constantly finding myself uh, r- running into William Shakespeare, and I tried to get away from him as a creative writing major tried to get away from him as I became a theater major, caught the acting and theater bug. And, uh, but I always stayed connected to my creative writing roots, always stayed connected to my theater roots. Uh, I wound up as a black studies major, actually, because that's where I got my degree, and that was the, the department that embraced me, and that was the information that I needed so much to make it in the world at that particular time. And I've been using it my whole life. I've been using the theater. I've been using the creative writing. I've been using the black studies. Uh, I went on to uh, form my own theater uh, group in the Bay Area, in San Francisco and Oakland, Berkeley area. Did that for several years. Uh, as I found that starting to change a, a, a paradigm shift, if you will, back then in the, in the 1980s, maybe the mid-'80s, uh, the theater thing started changing from the kind of socially conscious, politically uh, infused theater that we were doing. It started changing into the kind of theater that we see popularized now. The um, the, the the more uh, I don't even want to say because I don't want anybody to get offended by, it, but just a different brand of theater, not the I would say the kind of plays that you go to the big theaters to see now are more commercial. And in that time frame that I'm talking about, in the 70s and 80s, the 80s is when I came out. That's the days of the Negro Ensemble. <laughs> exactly. When we still, okay. had, still had work to do and we didn't take it for granted at all, we were black and proud, 
and we had things to say about our condition, about our people, about pushing our agenda forward, and we didn't have a lot of time for a lot else. So that's what I got involved in. And when that changed, I found myself still wanting to do what I do and still wanted to have my connection to my people. So I, for one reason or another, started uh, producing stand-up comedy, started performing it a little bit, but mostly producing stand-up comedy shows. And from that evolved the Bay Area Black Comedy Competition. From that evolved uh, me becoming a personal manager of some of the great comedians of our time and then moving to L.A. from Oakland, moving down to the Los Angeles area. I've been down here ever since making films, making independent films, still producing theater, writing, doing the various things that I do, uh, writing my column for the Human Mill magazine, again, um, making plays, both length and now short uh, films also, and uh, doing my poetry, spoken word that I've always done, but now in the new era of spoken word, it's about music tracks, and it's about uh, 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 memorization of the stuff that I write, because I, I, the era I came up in, we were more or less emulating uh, uh, people from the Black Arts Movement. And uh, and then Gil Scott Heron, so and and the last poet. So I'm I'm infusing all those things that I've learned, the things that I have experienced, and I'm just still trying to push that artistic bandwagon forward, and hoping that people jump on board. Okay, so uh, you just are, are rich. <laughs> You're rich, rich, rich in experience. And um, all-around Renaissance man, as far as the arts, you just, you know, all-around. Now, one I part um, you, you spoke about on another show that you didn't speak about this show because you, you spoke on video production for poets. Um, you didn't talk about your work as um, a filmmaker. Oh, okay, okay. Well, um, I and I also want to talk a bit about, a little bit more about Full Vision Arts Foundation, our, our uh, youth arts uh, component, also. But in terms of film, uh, it's funny because uh, the, the reason I was late getting on air with you today, I was working on a a screenplay, and it's funny because I wrote this play. I hate to age myself, but at least thirty years ago, more than that. I, I'm trying to figure out the exact date, but it was a long time ago, and I wrote this. I didn't even know about writing screenplays, and I was always writing plays. But I look at this, and I'm looking at the structure and the format of it and the flow of it. I'm like, this is a screenplay. So I said, I dug it out of my archives. And I've just been rewriting it lately, putting it in screenwriter format so I can shoot it. And, like, this is like film has always been my passion. Since my, my aunt moved up from Mississippi and 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 taught me about the movies. I've been I've been in love with the movies and always okay. wanted always saw myself being involved in the movies, doing the movies, and and God blessed me with the ability. First of all, with the drive to want to find out more about it, and with the ability to do it. And and I've been making these films. So uh, my first film was a a, a gangster movie. Uh, people might, some people might call him a hood pick, but it was set in uh, South Central Los Angeles, um, and it was a, a, a I guess you would say a straight up gangster movie, but it had a it had a conscious uh, undertone to it. It was about a guy who got in over his head with the wrong folks, and 
while he was in while he was in the eye of the storm, got caught up in that street game, but also fell in love with the young lady and decided it was time for him and her to get out. And it's, it's just a whole uh, whole gang of stuff that happens to him while he's trying to do that, and it, he complicates things by not only trying to get out but trying to rob the kingpin on his on his way out. So it's like a a very interesting story that uh, culminates in a big showdown, as you can imagine. That's called Two yeah. Degrees, Two Degrees, okay. and uh, actually starring uh, my top m- management client, Don D.C. Curry. And okay. m- most people probably know as Uncle Elroy from the Friday films and okay. from BET, Comic View, Grace Under Fire, et cetera. And then also it co-starred William L. Johnson, another good friend of mine, who's worked in, in, I don't know how many films William has under his belt now, but people probably remember him mostly from my movies and from Blue Hill Avenue, which is, a, I think, one of the great independent gangster films of the uh, last decade. Um, that was Two Degrees. Then uh, a few years later, we, we, we went back in and actually did my first screenplay that I didn't feel like I was ready to do first, called Tears of a Clown, which is about the rise, fall, and redemption of a black stand-up comic, which I really am, am close to. That's the business that I'm, I've been in since, like, 1986, so I really have a strong tie to black comedy, and it really is semi-autobiographical because it deals with a lot of the things that I went through. And, again, it's the rise, fall, and redemption of a black stand-up, but it's also about the... Uh, Redem- rise, fall, and redemption of a black manager, too. And it, had again, had a lot of autobiographical elements to it. Uh, my latest film, which is a short, now the, those are two full-length feature, two-hour films shot on 35-millimeter mi- film. But this last film is a digital film I just shot using the new digital filmmaking fo- formats that are available. H, it's an HD movie. And it's a short movie, only like 26 minutes and 14 seconds, called Joke Thief. And in this film, I'm working with some of my young uh, comedian artists that I'm uh, bringing up and helping to develop, uh, starring B.T. Kingsley and, again, my old favorite, William L. Johnson. And he actually is reprising a role that he played in Tears of a Clown, which is the one I just told you about. So that's a short film, and we're right now sending it out to the film festivals just trying to stir that filmmaking pot back up, get back out there. We've been blessed to do some very interesting movies. People have received them very well. They played all over the country in theaters and DVD and the whole bit. So we're looking forward to, to Joke Thief doing well. And really, uh, 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 between you and me and everybody listening, what, what Joke Thief is about, really, it was just started out as an idea. BT, the, the young comic I, I managed, he like wanted to do a short film of his own. He wrote this great uh, romantic comedy script, but he didn't feel like he was ready to take on a lead role yet. He said, Tony, I want you to direct this for me, but I'm not sure I can take on this big film, film role yet. What should I do? I said, well, look, I'll write some, something for you as an acting reel, and you can just get your chops up, and we can show people what you can do, and then maybe you'll feel confident enough to do it. And from that little exercise came a whole screenplay, and from that whole screenplay, came the actual film, so it's a starring vehicle for him now. So hopefully if everything works out well, uh, Lord willing, he'll be a 
the film will be a festival, darling, and he'll be the star of the festival, darling. So that's where we are today, except, like I said, I'm writing more scripts right now. And just a, a word, I know I'm talking a lot, I'm talk, talking fast, but just a word to all the aspiring filmmakers, young filmmakers, new filmmakers, if, or even uh, playwrights, because I started out as a playwright. Write it and put it away. Just because there's no reason or you don't, you don't see the avenue or the opening or the lane right now to, to produce that piece, just write it anyway. Write it anyway. And once you write it, it might come to you 5, 10, 20, in my case, 30-some-odd years later, it can pop up. This, this is handwritten in pencil. <laughs> okay, I found it. And it's still got, of course, I have to update it and all that, but it's still very relevant. So people out there, young, young people especially, and you old heads like me, hey, you never know what you're being preserved for. God might be preserving you. You see all your contemporaries doing this and that. Some might be passing you up. Some, some might not even be here anymore. Some might be on a whole different level. Some might be off the planet at this point. You don't know what God's timetable is for you. Keep on grinding. Keep on doing what you do. And you writers, again, just write it. Save it. Now we got all kind of, I mean, I'm digging, finding things in old paper file, file folders, but now there's a million ways to store things. So write it, yeah. store it. Archive it. Come back and get it later. It'll still be good. Yeah. They say write the vision down, make it plain. Sonia Sanchez says in her classes, write, 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 just write. Then you come back and edit. But when it comes to you, write. Just write. Exactly. <laughs> and so in this segue ends, talking about Sonia Sanchez, you know this is the poet crowd. This is spoken word poetry, the art, the industry, the viability. So just, um, I know one of your things, uh, we want to talk about poetry and comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the um, things you said in the last show that you I love you for you to share with this audience, what are your thoughts about Page to the Stage? Whoa. That was your, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a very important point that a, a real old dude taught me a long time ago. He was old then. He's real old now. He's still alive, still doing his thing. And what he taught me was because, like, a lot of times people, when they're doing stuff, they'll uh, they'll say, oh, no, when they're speaking, they, they may talk to you to an extent. And all of a sudden they'll say, yeah, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? You know what I mean. You know what I'm what I'm saying, right? It's like no, say it. And the same thing goes for writing. Don't assume people get it, and don't assume that that the idea is going to translate orally or verbally. Write it down. And if if you want a piece to make it to the theater stage or to the sound stage, write it down. Because if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. It ain't going to get to the stage unless it's on the page, okay? That's just like music. Music is an international language. Write it. Uh, screenplays, movies, TV scripts, stage plays, poems, write it. You might be a great, you might have a photographic memory. You know, you might, 
<laughs> but uh, if, and if everything you do, like my writing guru told me 20-some-odd years ago when I started learning how to write screenplays, he told me, because I was just a playwright then, and I didn't know how to write screenplays, he told me that ain't on the page, ain't on the stage. He also told me, write down everything. You can edit it later. Write down everything. You can edit it later. The key is it's got to be written down, so I can't emphasize that too much or too often. Write it down. And he said, if you're going to do everything yourself, then it doesn't matter how it looks or what format it's in. If if you're going to direct it, if you're going to shoot it, if you're going to do everything, including writing it and acting in it, it's just you, you're a one-man show, you can do it all, then it doesn't matter. But if you've got other people involved, it's very important to communicate with all of them, and the script is the blueprint. Mm-hmm. With the script, you can show everybody, get every, because film is a highly collaborative art form in mo- most cases, unless you're Robert Rodriguez, and even he got to depend on somebody. So it's a collaborative art form. So it's very important to write it down so that everybody can see the vision. Because these are artists, too. Give them some credit. They're artists, too. They can see the vision. If you, you some, Sometimes you can pitch an idea and people get it. But if you write it down and then you refer to it and they get to read it and see it, it's a lot easier for them to get it all. And also, would you say, especially as far as, you know, just poets, even if you're a spoken word poet, by, and especially if you're recording, isn't that another revenue stream you're missing if you don't, have the writing if you're just recording but you're not recording the written um the written part of it can you can you expound on that a little bit more for me just like a person who just sings a song but they didn't Mm -hmm. write the song right if you don't have the rights to the writing that's another revenue stream you get performance rights or one thing but you want to get the revenue for also the writing oh my goodness oh my goodness the 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 publishing is is like in terms of music. I mean, when when we sometimes young people hear a song, they they think it's the first time the song has ever been recorded. But some of us who've been around a while know that song may have been done three, maybe four times by different artists over the decades, and that original writer is getting paid each and every time that song gets done. So and if and then if, if the song is separated between lyrics and music, there you go. There's two people getting paid. But if you're the songwriter, if you, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a million examples of this and how that worked. But uh, Lenny Williams made a lot of money off of Twista. Uh, Rick James made a lot of money off of, I mean, off of MC Hammer. Um, Tupac, I mean, Bruce Hornsby made money off of Tupac. I mean, it's a million, it's a million examples. These are things that just come to mind now, but you see it every day. Uh, Burt Bacharach made all kind of money from people like Luther, okay? Mm. So it's, it's all kind of songs that have been, because I think, uh, I think uh, uh, A House Is Not A Home, I think, was written by him or one of his contemporaries in Dionne Warwick sang it in the 60s. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then... Uh, Luther took it and popularized it. Ronald Isley and the Isley Brothers did a lot of songs that were written by people who were like rock and roll or folk artists. They weren't even uh, artists in our in our genre or whatever, not even on our radar as, as black folks. But a lot of times 
uh, we are, uh, Lionel Richie and Kenny Rogers used to write songs for each other. Stevie Wonder and Aretha Franklin used to write all kind of songs. Smokey Robinson wrote all kind of songs for other people. You know, uh, yeah. Otis Redding wrote Respect for Aretha. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing I'm, I'm talking about. So it's a lot of that. And then the same thing goes for for uh, if you're if if you're a writer and you have a novel, but publish the novel, self-publish it. it it's amazing how many people. How many producers, film pr- producers in particular, want to? Uh, they want to license. They want to option your book because they just have this thing about wanting to uh, do a movie from a book. Yeah. Of course, the better the book and, does, the, be- the, the, the the better. But even if it's unpublished, I've seen unpublished books get deals for movies. Yeah. See, so it, it's, writing is the key. So to me, it all starts with writing. You know, yeah. when you're, if, if, if you were a, a person that for, for, was physically challenged in some way, there are ways now where you could still write. If yeah, you don't the, think you... Um, you got your voice recorder now. Um, exactly. Software, you can just speak it into and it writes, and then all you have to do is just edit it or clean it up. Uh, but I, I really just wanted to share that as far as an uh, industry outlook for people that, um, if you think I just record, you know, I record my poetry, I put it on an album, I sell it myself. But if it comes hot and somebody does want to use it, they may use it in a movie and all, but before you know it, because there is no written copyright on the words, somebody will come up, you know, um, write it out and copyright the the poem. Yes, absolutely. They can even give you credit, but somebody else is now also getting paid, even if you may get, but they'll also get paid because they copywrote the written work. Exactly. So it's not just enough, like you said, to memorize and know your work in your head, and then you're going out performing it. You're missing a lot by not writing it down, and um, you know, co- copyright and registering that that written, the written portion as well. Even if Absolutely. you're spoken word artist, you gotta handle your your business. You gotta handle your business. It's not enough anymore, especially. It really never was because there's so many black artists who got ripped off. Back mm-hmm. in the day, people like Little Richard and people like uh, Bessie Smith and people like... TLC, they just had it... Oh, exactly. Just... <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was a famous Chicago blues artist, one of the architects of the Chicago blues. Mm-hmm. And and I actually have to uh, seek out his material from other people because in those days, uh, quote, the man, unquote would invite you to come into his studio and pay you $100 and say, record, mm-hmm. you might be there for a week recording mm-hmm. all your stuff. He'd give you $100 and say, I'm going to make you a star. I'm going to put your music on the radio. I'm going to do you a favor put your music mm-hmm. on the radio. You see? Now he got the master. He's on everything. And that's, exactly. what, and that, that's, that that's so important. Exactly. Yeah, even now, though, but as a poet, you need to write it down because somebody may do that. You know, you think, well, it's my poem because it's in my, but if you never wrote it down and, you know, you don't have proof of your writing, there's no place where it's written and it says it's written by you and copyrighted, then mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. get the performance part of it, but, you know, you may have to share, if you know, if you can even prove it. If you can you even know, prove it. Prove if it, you can yes. even prove it. 
it, absolutely. And the same yeah, thing for, screen, for screenplays and stage mm-hmm. plays, too. You need to register your writing, regardless mm-hmm. of what genre, what artistic genre or endeavor you partake in. If you write it, there, there is a medium, there is a, 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 a tool for you to use, like the uh, a Writer's Guild, if you're a writer. Of course, the mm-hmm. office copyrights for everything, okay? But yeah. there, there are, there's always going to be a – and because they have a Google and et cetera now, you can always look up exactly where you should go and what you should do. But there are ways that you can, from the comfort of your own home and from your own desktop or laptop or even from your cell phone. Tony? Yes, I'm still I'm still here. Okay, yeah. So, Tony, we want to just talk a little bit, get going, because we're halfway through, more than halfway through. We want to talk about comedy, because I know these, um, you know, some of your best poets are very comedic. And mm-hmm. what is, the like, the niche, and, and where do you see, first of all, what is that specialty you need as far as using comedy and poetry and the timing and all, and then what opportunities you see or exist um exist is there um for um poets that are more comedic are there more opportunities for them um you know what you know what opportunities do you see and do I, I any think of your, it is. I think um, it is. your comedians come through are they also poets or well you, you know, know what share with uh, us about there are some there are some comedians who are poets um there's one very popular comedian by the name of Shang, who people might know. Shang, originally from New York, uh, now in Los Angeles, very funny comic. He's a very socially conscious, political, politically astute comic who is uh, uh, actually a, a how, how can I put this? He's a, a very strong poet with a lot to say. Uh, he's also uh, an actor. He actually has a show. I think the name of it is Isms. Uh, in fact, it, it is the name of it. The name of it is Isms. We actually produced his play back in, I think, 2002. In 2002, we actually did his play in the Bay Area as part of our Bay Area Black Comedy Competition and Festival. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so he put a, a one-man show together using his comedy talent using his spoken word poetry talent, and using his acting and writing ability. Shane did that. Um, uh, uh, there's a young brother that I work with now. His name is Ice Life. He's from Oakland. He's a, a, a in, in terms of the spoken word, the hip-hop and spoken word circles, he's very well known. He's an independent uh, recording artist as a, as a, a hip-hop MC, a rapper. He's also a theater artist. He's also a spoken word artist, and he's very funny. And he keeps telling me, Tony, you've got to put me on stage. And I'm tempted to do it because he's just that funny. We just He has a play. He has a book. And here comes the book thing again, a book he wrote called Pistols and Prayers, which is kind of an experimental book. It has some of his essays, some of his poetry, some of his stories, et cetera. It makes a real nice book. She took that book, Pistols and Prayers, and made it into a theater piece. And inside that theater piece, he gets to showcase all of his talents. He's probably known mostly as a spoken word poet, 
but he's also a very talented MC with two CDs under his belt that sold very, very well on the independent market. He's performed all over the world, and he uses his comedy. I was just in the show. We just did a nine-week run here in Hollywood. Just ended uh, last month in November, started in September, called Pistols and Prayers. And he is actually doing his comedy routine in between doing his spoken word poetry. So if there was ever an example of that being done, Ice Life does it in Pistols and Prayers. That's a contemporary example. This is a young man doing his his thing. And trust me, he will one day get on this. And I've actually put him in front of thousands of people to do his spoken word in some comedy shows that I've done in the Barrier Black Comedy Competition and Festival at the Paramount Theater in Oakland. Two years in a row, I put him in stage on stage in front of thousands of people. He got up there and did a humorous poem and cracked people up just as if he was telling a joke. So mm-hmm. first thing you got to have is a sense of humor. First of all, you got to have the wherewithal to be up there in front of people, first of all. Because, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you are performing for people. Unless you're the kind of person that just wants to record it and let people hear it, then you ultimately will be on stage performing for people. So you have to have that wherewithal, I like to say, talent or ability. And then you take it from there. If you're going to interject or infuse comedy in what you're doing, you must have a sense of humor. You must have a point of view. Okay? That means you need something to say. You need to know how you're going to say it. When Richard Pryor first got started doing stand-up, he wanted to be like Bill Cosby. So he emulated Bill Cosby. Now, any of us who know both of those guys or know their material or their act, you know there's nothing further, no two men on, no two stand-ups are further apart artistically than Richard Pryor and Bill Cosby. Mm -hmm. But when Richard finally found his own voice, my goodness gracious. So find your own voice. That's called a point of view. Know where you're coming from. Know how you're going to relay your point to your crowd. Who is your crowd? Who are you trying to talk to? Who are you communicating with? Who would even be able to identify with your message or your point of view or your story? You see, if you got, if you got a whole bunch of rich person's jokes, but all your comedy takes place in the hood, then it's not going to work. <laughs> so you have to know who you're speaking to. Who is your audience? Have a sense of humor and not be scared. And you have to put the work in. It's not automatic. It's like any, any art form that anybody has ever uh, endeavored upon, they had to put the work in. And yeah. once you get the work in and you think you're proficient, that's when it starts. That's, that's when you start putting the work in. When you think you got it something, that's when it really starts. And then even when you get up on stage and you're good and, and you've perfected your craft, you think, guess what? Take a month or two off and see if it's perfected. Not so much. So it, it's, 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 it's work. And if you do more than one thing, it's going to take more than one, one, uh, uh, more than one uh, uh, period of time or uh, period of dedication. If you want to be half good at things and just put in the half amount of time, but if you want to be a great singer, you've got to put in singing time, the full time it takes to be a singer. And if you want to be a, 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 a rapper and a singer, and you got to be a you got to be a great rapper and you got to be a great singer. I mean, I think I mean you don't have to. You you can be mediocre, but who aspires to be mediocre? You want to be a poet, you got to put the work in. You want to be a comic, it's a lot of work. More than to me, 
as a guy who's done both music and poetry and comedy, comedy is, is very unique in and of itself because if you're a singer, even if you don't evoke all the emotions out of the song that you want or out of the people that you want them to, you don't, even if everybody doesn't feel the exact thing you want them to feel, even if you're not a great singer, if you do a decent job, you get a decent uh, amount of applause. If you're a comedian and it's not funny, there's no redemption for not funny. You see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No redemption for not funny. Either you're funny or you're not. They're, they're booing. They're talking over you. They're laughing at you instead of with you. So with comedy, the challenge is you must be funny. Okay. Yes. So do you think the people, um, comedic spoken word artists are like, you know, doubly gifted because they're able to put that comedy in, in a rhythmic form? I think that comedians can do it all. Mm-hmm. I think comedians, I mean, again, going to Richard Pryor, okay, going to our second female Academy Award winner and our third Academy Award winner, period, Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Look at Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, she's, as an actress, she's a bad girl. As a comedian, of course, we already know. Richard Pryor, if you saw any, any of Richard Pryor's movies, like Which Way Is Up, if you saw him in Lady Sing the Blues, you've seen him in The Mac, you've seen him in so many different, uh, Black Brigade, you saw a great actor, a great actor. I mean, not just a guy who can act, but a great actor with nuance, with range. I mean, you saw a great Robin Williams, the uh, uh, white uh, comedian and actor. Brilliant stand, brilliant stand up, brilliant stand up. Also, Academy Award winner. Okay. Um, Tom Hanks, Academy Award winner, comedian. Okay, and this is just off the top of my head. It's a lot of great, funny people. Eddie Murphy hasn't won an Oscar, but he maybe he should have by now. But Eddie Murphy, for 10 years running, was the biggest box office star in Hollywood. Okay, with you know, when movies weren't making $100 million, he was making $100 million. His movies were grossing $100 million in the United States back when they weren't doing that. Okay, Eddie Murphy is a great stand-up, as evidenced by Delirious and Raw. And, of course, he's a comedic genius when it comes to film acting, too. And if you guys saw uh, Dream Girls, was it Dream Girls? Dream Girls, yes. He did a very moving, dramatic role also. So we see what Eddie, and now you see him singing, (laughs) singing again after a 20-some-year hiatus of singing. He's being taken seriously as a serious musician now. So comedians have a very special gift. Again, it goes with what I was saying about how hard it is. Because being funny, that's why you see so many tragic comics, so many comics who end up dying before their time or getting drug addicted. I mean, a a lot of our artists, and and not just artists, but a lot of our artists go that route. But comedians, you see that, you say, how can a person be so funny but in real life be so sad? Because you, you have to run the range of them. Look at, oh, you know who I left out? The winner of our 1991 Barrier Black Comedy Competition, Jamie Foxx. In 1991, he won our event, got on in living color from there, and went on to win what? Another Oscar. Another comedian yeah. 
wins another Oscar. And Jamie Foxx is a great singer, songwriter, pianist. Okay, mm-hmm. he's a you know, he's a, but he's a he's a stand-up. He got his break mm-hmm. because, like, for me, when I was young, it was about theater. It was about theater. That was that was what was happening in the Bay in the Bay Area in my youth. It was everybody was getting if you were getting in, you were getting in through theater. Mm-hmm. People like again, Whoopi Goldberg. This my, my first professional play that I produced was playing across the street from where Whoopi Goldberg launched her one-woman show, Moms, right across the street. I didn't even know who Whoopi Goldberg was. But I was launching my first professional show, and she was starring in her first one-woman professional show. And that, that play, in, it was in San Francisco at the time, at the Victoria Theater. That play was Broadway bound, okay, and then HBO bound. Mm-hmm. But from those very humble beginnings, the, the point is that if you have the ability to make people laugh, it's easy to make them cry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, if you'd like to call in, I just want to share with the audience, we got like two more minutes of streaming live. So if you'd like to call in, the number is 646-716-7994. Again, their call-in number is 646-716-7994. Press the number one if you want to speak, because you can call in and just listen. So if you want to speak, you want to share, if you want to ask Tony any questions, um, Tony is the founder and producer of the Black Comedy Competition. Tell them a little bit about that, Tony. Okay, I'd love to. Uh, The Bay Area Black Comedy Competition and Festival, uh, and now in its 28th year, 28, some of y'all might not even be 28 years old, (laughs) in its 28th year, and it is the vehicle that uh, I was blessed and inspired to create back in the 80s because, again, uh, the theater movement seemed to be changing. People seemed to be going more toward things that were funny. I started producing stand-up comedy shows in theaters, in community theaters first, and it it worked. Before you know it, I saw that in San Francisco in particular, there was a place called the San Francisco International Comedy Competition, and they were very successful. And they didn't have that many black comedians performing in it. They They said our comedians weren't funny enough, we weren't skilled enough to perform in their competition. So like, hmm, that's not fair. So... I had an idea, let's start some comedic affirmative action, and that's the term I used throughout the whole process of building it, and we launched it. And uh, within two years, we had a a champ by the name of Mark Curry, who people know from Hanging with Mr. Cooper fame, uh, who won our event. Um, We had people like Jamie Foxx and D.L. Hughley and Chris Tucker and Mike Epps and Cat Williams. I actually met Don D.C. Curry, who I manage now, uh, doing the event. Uh, Nick Cannon did the event when he was 16 years old and got discovered there. Uh, so many people have, again, Chris Tucker got discovered there. So many great people have gone on from our event and done great things. But it, it's, it's a launching pad. It's a vehicle to showcase your talent the way we do it. Uh, there was a lot of 
comedy going on, but it didn't include what we did, our art form, black comedy. People weren't even using the term black comedy at that point. But in, and now that now they want to use the word urban comedy to replace the word black, but it, let's let's face it, it's what comes from us. It's the kind of comedy. It's not it's not always the performers are not always black, and the audiences are not all black. But it's the kind of material and it's the kind of performance and it's the kind of point of view that comes from someone who is highly knowledgeable and sensitive to the African American experience. And it's being performed for those who are of like mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's what we did. And 28 years later, we're still standing. And every year, bringing through an uh, incredible number and an incredible uh, amount of gifted comedians from all over the country. People have come from Europe, from Canada, from the Caribbean. People come, and so we're we're uh, really an international comedy festival. Starting in 2002, we became a festival and start producing more aspects to it. We have a tremendous daytime component called the Comedian Educational Forum, where we teach the performers, not just comedians, but all performing artists, some of the nuts and bolts of the business of show business. So we go deep. We have special guests come in from all over the country and lecture and do workshops and teach them hands-on how to do the various things that make this business work. So this is what we've been developing, again, since the 80s, the competition, since 2002, the festival. And, um, you know, again, we've actually seen a lot of good people come to our event and blow up. Of course, most people don't blow up in anything. But we've been blessed to actually be able to help some people really take their careers to the next level and people who didn't necessarily even know what they were going to be. Didn't know what they were going to be when they did our event. They just knew they were talented. And like I said, when I started, theater was the way out. No matter what you really wanted to do or what your heart ached to do, theater was the popular way out. If you, if I wasn't in L.A., so I didn't really even know about the L.A. scene. And I was in the Bay Area, and it's a highly artistic, highly cultural place highly politically charged place, so we were doing theater. And from theater, we evolved into comedy. And from comedy, we evolved into TV and film. And, you know, uh, it's been really a really fun ride, a very challenging ride. It's not always, it hasn't always been fun. If I look at it, I have to say it's been fun. But every minute hasn't been fun. Sometimes it's been very hard, very challenging, very um, unrelenting sometimes in terms of the, the stress and the other things, the ups and the downs, the heartaches you go through just being independent out here. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I love what I do. I'm not the only one that does this. I'm just the one talking right now. But it's a lot, lot of us out here who have given a lot to do what we love to do. And I, I, I want to say this, Jackie, before I hog up all your time here, Entrepreneurship is not for everybody, and neither are the arts in terms of a career, to pursue a career, but I highly recommend entrepreneurship. Even if you don't end up doing it, check it out. Because for our folks, for black people, Latinos, uh, any third world person out here trying to make a way in this country, we need to be entrepreneurs. We need to be businessful. If you look at the other people who, who, who immigrate, who migrate to this country 
first thing they do if they have an opportunity is to start a business, regardless of what kind of business it is. Back in the day, and I don't mean to be funny, I don't mean to be funny, so I don't take this the wrong way, folks, but during the segregation years, we were entrepreneurs. We had to be. We, we, we went to the corner store that was ours, the corner dry cleaners that was ours, the movie theater that was ours. So that's a whole nother piece, but I just want to say, check out entrepreneurship. Check it out. Check it out. It, it, it could lead to freedom. <laughs> okay. Because you're making noise back there. You're making noise when you come in. You can hear the door squeak. I can show you how many shows you hear the door squeaking. Hello. Yes, yes. I apologize. Okay. I apologize. Go ahead. All right. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I do apologize. So I just want to let um, anybody know we have just a few more minutes that we're streaming live. And um, so call in if you want to speak with Tony, if you want to share your work with him. And um, I know you did share about a um, was Ice Life. Uh, you had him perform. Um so do you sometimes allow poets to perform at the black comedy competition? Absolutely. Or, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's that's part that's part of it because that's part of what I that's part of what I am, part of what I do. So uh, just giving respect to it, giving back to it and and I mean absolutely. And to those who are uh we've had uh male and female performers and it was in 2008 we actually had an event called the uh poetry and spoken word uh competition that we actually had as part of the barrier black comedy competition kind of like an a side feature and it went very very well because um, people love it and the the poets are so astute that they know what piece to pick for what situation? I'm scheduled to perform in Watts uh, this Saturday for an outdoor event, and it's a ch- it's something that you have to be ready for. You're going into Watts to a highly uh, 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 economically depressed environment, and you have to have the right material for that environment and for that crowd. You can't you can't uh, uh, knock them over the head with something that it's not going to go over well. You just got, you got to be sensitive. And the same thing with poets performing in front of a comedy crowd. You have to know these people are here to hear jokes. So this okay. wouldn't be the moment necessarily that I would do a poem about the assassination of Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. This might not be the okay. right form for it because they're in a humorous mood. So yeah. this might be the moment for me to do a poem. Still can be uh, socially relevant. Still can be political but do it with a sense of humor, you see. Yeah. So uh, the poets like comedians. People always say, well, comedians got to be clean. They got to, uh, this is a clean show. I need comedians who are clean. Like every comedian is clean if you pay them to be clean. And I think every p- poet is knowledgeable of what to do if you pay them to do and you outline what it is you need them to do at any particular time. So artists are smart that way. They know how to adapt. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> I'm glad you made that mention that, you know, they're definitely worthy to be paid. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yes, yes. 
So um, before we close out, again, I gave everybody opportunity, 646-716-7994. We um, have 42 seconds. If you don't call in, we won't be able to hear you um, right now. But, Tony, um, we're still recording. So um, talk a little bit about your nonprofit. Our nonprofit organization is Full Vision Arts Foundation. We've been doing this since 2007. Uh, it's primarily, uh, to this point at least, it's been primarily in the San Francisco Bay Area, primarily in the city of Oakland, and it is a multidisciplinary youth arts organization where we emphasize uh, the development of artistic skill in uh, spoken word poetry, filmmaking, theater, be it acting, uh, writing, producing, directing, uh, music performance, music composition, musicianship, and comedy. Oh, and dance. (laughs) Okay. So I'm not a dancer myself, but we brought in some very great expert and professional uh, choreographers and dancers, and that's what we do. I teach uh, uh, the arts that I'm uh, skilled in. But those that I'm not skilled in, I bring in artists from other disciplines, and they teach the kids. Uh, we actually teach young people ages 14 to 19 in the performing arts, and then we produce professional events that include professional artists that come in guest artists, professional guest artists who come in and perform with the kids and give them a unique experience on stage so that they can and we also teach them how to do the work behind the scenes so that they can help produce the events as well. Production, marketing, and advertising, uh, uh, actually, in many cases, writing. I really emphasize that they write their own material. We didn't do cover songs. When it was music or poetry, we didn't do covers, or we didn't do what some work somebody else did. It was all original. And I was always there right with them, side by side, performing with them, writing with them. And uh, it, we did some amazing work. We're still doing some amazing work with with some phenomenally gifted young people. And everybody involved hasn't gone on. It's not going to go on to be a superstar. Some will. I'm sure some some won't. Most won't. But what they gain, they gain an invaluable uh, uh, life experience. Just like kids who play little league sports or what have you. You, everybody doesn't become a professional basketball player, football player, baseball player, but you learn things like uh, cooperation and teamwork and and uh, responsibility and and discipline and self-discipline and so many things that you learn from sports. The same things I think you learn in the arts too. So we're teaching young people, and we really we're trying to save lives and get a lot of the inner city kids off the street and into something positive. That's the bottom line. Trying to get them into something positive. And if it saves their life, then our mission has already been accomplished. And if they're if they go on to be a great artist, then power to us there too. If they go on and share what they what they learn with other people, then we've really done something. So that's that's like our give back piece, but it's really evolved into more than that because some really viable productions have come out of it. I've written uh, pieces for the kids, and they've written pieces for themselves, and we've collaborated. And I mean, and and now you look at these these kids, and they're they're doing it. They're they're doing it. They're confident. 
you can't tell them anything now because they've, they've been in it. They've done it. So we're very proud about that. We feel like that's like a ministry. We think God is using us to do some great things with these young folks. Okay. Well, that sounds really great. Now, I did, um, I wish we put it earlier, but I did put it in the chat room. And so I just want to let everybody know. I just want to let everybody know that they can reach the Full Vision Arts by going to fullvisionarts.org. That's right. Fullvisionarts.org. And then um, your latest CD is Paradigm Shift, correct? That's correct. Okay. And how can um, people get a hold of that and check you out? Fruition.com, P-H-R-U-I-S-H-U-N, Fruition.com. You can listen to some tracks. You can purchase the CD. You can holler at me. I love to hear from you. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash fruition, P-H-R-U-I-S-H-U-N, fruition. I uh, would love to hear from you. Communicate with me. Holler at me. Um, if I can help, I'd be happy to. Okay. Well, thank you, and this has been um, a very enlightening show, and you're a very just dynamic person, so we're glad to, you know, have gotten to know you and meet with you and all the great things that you do as a filmmaker, a poet, a producer, a writer, a screenplay and playwright, and um you have a nonprofit and films and so now if we go to fruition dot com or is that a place where you also have your film or is that just your spoken word? That's Do you yet have a one place that where um people can experience all of your work, at least as all your published work? Yeah, if you go to blackcomedycompetition dot com, that is the hub. Okay. And everything is there. You might have to. You might have to. It may not be as automatic as I like right now, but every, the fruition stuff you have to look for. You have to click. But everything that I do is represented on BlackComedyCompetition.com. The movies, uh, the the youth organization, Full Vision Arts Foundation, the Barrier Black Comedy Competition, is there. So I encourage people to go there and start there. If you go to fullvision.org, you'll also be able to connect to what we're doing also. I'm, you know what? I, I need to put more emphasis on me as the artist, and hopefully in 2014, Lord willing, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, I think, you know, it's time for that too because of just my nature and, and what I do. I really believe in helping people and really believe in trying to be a servant. So some sometimes I put the emphasis on somebody else as opposed to myself. And I'm still going to do that. But, again, when you try to do more, you got to spend more time. you got to work harder. So that's what I plan on doing in 2014 so that I can say, yeah, go to fruition.com and get my T-shirts, get my hats. <laughs> All right. I'm looking yeah, forward to doing all extra lines of revenue. <laughs> exactly. Now, revenue. Um, just in speaking of, we, you didn't tell us how does one get involved with, when does the black comedy competition happen? Generally, what time every year, and how does one get involved? It's May. If they want to compete. It's May. Mm-hmm. Well, the idea is to go through to blackcomedycompetition.com. Uh, uh, you can go to blackcomedycompetition.com and go to the contact section. Send us an email requesting information on the Bay Area Black Comedy Competition and Festival, and we'll make sure that you are updated because it's a, okay. it's a recruitment process. 
people have to apply to the event. There is a fee associated with application. Uh, if you accept it, then you'll be contacted. Uh, when you apply, you, 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 you'll be requested to send in a lot of information about yourself, including a reel, a performance reel that shows us that you have what we're looking for for our competition. And then we will reach out to you, tell you that you are accepted, and if indeed you are, then you'll be given so much information. You'll get tired of getting information from us, but you'll be told exactly where to come, what to do, how to behave, what the rules and regulations are of every sort. And uh, uh, we look we look look forward to meeting new people. People come from all over the country, and, and I said from other other countries each year. So always looking to develop and showcase new talent. Bear, Bear Your Black Comedy Competition found at blackcomedycompetition.com. And like I always tell people, you've got to spell competition correctly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's C-O-M-P-E-T-I-T-I-O-N, competition. That's what I'm talking okay. about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that's, you know, everyone knows how they can compete and, or uh, what it needs to be to be a part of it. So it happens May every year, correct? Yes. Well, it, it's happened at different months over the years. It started out as a Black History Month event in February, but over the last several years it's been a May event, and that's worked out very, very well for us. It's getting a little warmer then, and mm-hmm. it just works out good. You know, what we find is a lot of times when we have an event in February, some of the comedians will get snowed in. People will be coming from D.C. and yeah. Philly and New York and Boston, and they say, man, we're snowed in. So, yeah, I you know. know. Yeah, and January it happens. and February can be hard months. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we pushed it back to make it where everybody usually can make it in, mm-hmm. in the warmer spring months. It's a little bit easier to travel. Okay. Well, that's exciting. And, again, um, you know, you've been told how you can reach out to Tony and um, if you want to display some of your work. But I don't know if everyone noticed, but one of the most important things in that he stated is that you're going to have to submit a reel. So that means you need to have work on video and you need to take and invest um, someone putting together your video work and, um, you know, editing it, editing it so that it, it reads well, like a, a video resume so that you can show samples of your work and different things to tell about yourself. So if you don't have that as an artist, that's something very important that you need, especially this day and time. Almost everyone wants to see video because right. it's one thing to hear you, but they want to see how you perform. Absolutely. Absolutely. So true. Okay. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Thank you for gracing us with your time. Oh, you know, I did want to take a moment real quick and just make one announcement. If I could find this real quick, Um, Paul Mooney is back. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. he's getting ready to do a show. He, um, he He overworked his voice. So he was going to call in and make the announcement, but he overworked his voice a little bit. But Paul Mooney um, and the, they have a theater group, too. Okay, here it is. Paul Mooney is recruiting sketch writers, so anybody good at sketch writing, for his theater black repertory group. 
and he says he's back, and he's doing um, a New Year's Eve on December 26th event. Paul Mooney's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Out of the Darkness, mm-hmm. the Last Stand tour, and mm-hmm. that's um, December 26th through New Year's Eve, and that's at the Berkeley Black Repertory Group Theater. Yes, yes, and I'm oh, very familiar with that theater. In fact, in 1981, <laughs> I performed at that theater. <laughs> okay. uh, absolutely. That's a historic place in the Bay Area. That's a historic black theater group. Uh, Nora Vaughn is like a, a legend in the Bay Area. She's long since passed, but in the 60s, she she founded that organization, her and her husband, and Almost every actor, probably probably every actor over 40 has performed in the Bay Area, has performed at one time or another at the Black Rep. Now it's being, the torch is being carried by her grandson, Sean Vaughn Scott, who's running the Black Rep. We actually have done events there. We've done theater there, but we've also done, I've done theater there as a youth, but also in recent years we did a comedy show there also. So it's a good comedy venue. It's right there in the neighborhood, in the community. People know where it is. I definitely um, I encourage people to go out and support Paul. Paul's been doing his holiday season shows there for many years because he, Paul is like I guess his second home would be the Bay Area, would, would be yes. Oakland. The theater's right at the Oakland Berkeley border, and mm-hmm. Paul's been doing shows there for several years at the during the holiday season, and they're very well attended. Very, Paul okay. Mooney is a legend. We actually we actually we honored Paul. I believe in 2009 at the Barrier Black Comedy Competition as a legend, we put him in the Black Comedy Hall of Fame, gave him an award. He was he was good enough to come, receive the award, uh, speak to the crowd. It was a great, great time. Paul's a legend. Yes. Well, brilliant, definitely brilliant, some mind. great networking opportunities, and I'm going to connect you with his manager again. So, because they're, they're doing more theater. Theater is coming back, too, now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. seems to be very back active again in theater. So, um, you know, they're looking to network and connect. So, uh, just for everyone, that's information. You can share it along. Um, y'all make me want to be on the West Coast for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot warmer. Yes, definitely. No it's way warmer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, Tony, again, thank you so much. And we are going to definitely go to blackcomedycompetition.com, check you out. And for people... By his um, album, Paradigm Shift, we listened to My Road earlier, and we're going to roll out on Paradigm Shift. And we speak for everyone, peace and love. And thank you, Tony. Thank you, Jackie. Paradigm shit. When the pulse of your heart meets your mind and defines a new beat. Paradigm shit. When the planets align, fortunes change, and people ride in the street. Paradigm shit. When you're no longer defined by the things that they say you have to do. Paradigm shit. Instead of begging for breaks, now the same cats are running after you. Paradigm shit. When you won five or six rings, they blink, now you're owning the team. Paradigm shit. When there's no confusion in your midst because you're living your dream. Paradigm shit. When the mighty and proud fall and meek folks inherit the earth. Paradigm shit. When we cast off the Hank and the Jenkins generational curse. Paradigm shit. When spreading God's love is the only business.
is too important to fail. Paradigm shift. When innocent inmates act to prison, the crooked lawyers go to jail. Paradigm shift. When it's not about lumber, but the oxygen that our trees create. Paradigm shift. When we heed the warning of the rainforest before it's too late. Paradigm shift. When you finally get into your zone, it's bill collectors on the Paradigm phone. Paradigm shift. When you work your fingers to the bone and they still take your home. Paradigm shit. When the people with good jobs are mad and the unemployed folks are chilling. Paradigm shit. When there's not one person left to help the slave owners make a killing. Paradigm shit. When the love of money is always trumped by the love for mankind. Paradigm shit. When taking time to get it right doesn't mean you're getting left behind. Paradigm shit. When you sell the units from your head and you don't owe the label shit. Paradigm shit. When you spit out the bit and finally get all you're supposed to fucking Paradigm get. Paradigm shit. When you pay to create, not to destroy, and you work for yourself. Paradigm shit. When we're all making money, and guess what? Ha, it's still a gang of it left. Paradigm shit. When nations compete to see who can serve God more. Paradigm shit. Instead of crawling around back, we're walking straight through the front door. Paradigm shit. When trigger-happy police don't have clout without a reasonable doubt. Paradigm shit. When the two-party system they tout is finally on its way out. Paradigm shit. When the real parents fall off and the grandparents raise the kids. Paradigm shit. When kids make the grandparents regret all the work that they Paradigm did. Paradign shit. When you make a true friend, you stick with them and that's a homie for life. Paradigm shit. When the hating gets so sharp and strong that it cuts like a knife. Paradigm shit. When old people chase their dreams too, not just their kids. Paradigm shit. When even rich people pay for all the wrongs that they did. Paradigm shit. When the only real rule that applies is that not one of us dies. Paradigm shit. When the truth sets folks free and crooks are hung by their own lives. Paradigm shit. When neighbors look out for each other and never covet their wives. Paradigm shit. When it takes a village to raise a child and we protect them with our lives. Paradigm shit. When beauty is not just an illusion that we see on TV. Paradigm shit. When poor people's dreams can come true and their children live free. Paradigm shit. Paradigm shit. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.